Hey everyone, welcome to episode 178 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Hey Chris, how's it going? It's going good. I am excited to finally talk about some Kaldheim spoilers. I, I know, we had a weird spot last week where we didn't really have any new spoilers because they all started like the day after we recorded yeah but now there's just so many i'm not even sure we can get to the ones i put in this document no it's it's like the basically the whole set has come out what is what does scryfall say for like the completion here i well scryfall doesn't even have all the ones from today oh geez yeah so and i think spoilers stop on the 19th which is next tuesday okay so we'll have the full set by next week yeah, that seems like pretty normal. Like a two sets or two week spoiler season seems like fine and normal, but also it really seems like it feels like we got like the whole set over the past week. Well, I'm sure like some commander product I don't know will muddle the preview weeks later, mm-hmm. and it'll just be cards. I think is in the main set. Yeah, it'll just be really confusing for a solid several days. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I don't really care about anything else. Do you want to just start talking about new cards? Yeah, I, I kind of sorted this in a weird way. Fine, let's do it. Let's just adopt whatever about method. Planeswalkers first. Legit. I think last time we talked to Call Time Spoilers, we didn't know any of the Planeswalkers at all. Even though Kaya and Nico were spoiled like pretty early on. Yeah, are we trying to... I? It looks like we've got pretty solid card images here. So these look like we're trying to limit ourselves to the actually previewed cards. And none of the, you know stolen spoilers or anything like that yeah i didn't look at any stolen spoilers mostly because i don't know where to find them or like haven't really been looking for them Mm -hmm. so all of the things that are spoiled have been spoiled by some somewhere wizards is given a card to okay cool perfect so it looks like we are starting with kaya the inexorable so kaya is a three white black Planeswalker starts with five loyalty, so five mana, five loyalty. The plus one is put a ghost form counter on up to one target non-token creature. It gains when this creature dies or is put into exile. Return it to its owner's hand and then create a 1-1 white spirit creature with flying. The minus three is exile an online permanent, exile target an online permanent. And the minus seven is you get an emblem with at the beginning of your upkeep. You may cast a legendary spell from your hand, your graveyard, or among cards you own in exile without paying its mana cost. Which includes Kaya very specifically. So like that ultimate is, even though it reads as a spe- very specific thing, it's like pretty good because you keep getting Kaya to come in and minus. Yeah, you can just ult Kaya, put her in the graveyard. On your next upkeep, put her back into play and kill another permanent mm-hmm. at like base value. Yeah, yeah. And this is a set with a million legendary cards in it, like even way more than usual. Sure. So there's going to be a lot of different targets for Kaya's ultimate, but I, that's like not the main right. part of the card, of course. You just want to make sure that you actually win the game with the ult or that it's very good. She starts out with five loyalty and she has a plus. So like there are, you want that to be a thing that actually matters to work towards, you know, if nothing else, so that your opponent has to treat it as a threat when you just play it and plus it. And, and Kaya is, like, the simplest Planeswalker in the set. Like, the old classic Obnix list. Just a plus, a minus to kill something in an ultimate. Right. And it's definitely, like, it's the best version of the Obnix list minus. 
it targets anything except for lands and exiles it. So that's a really good start. One of the worst pluses that you can have for your like card advantage plus ability. Yeah, it really encourages you to play to the board mm -hmm. heavily. Which is not the worst thing. It's just well, that you don't really I, get any value from her right away on an empty board. Right. The fact that probably any deck that has Kaya the Inexorable in it like starts with four Skyclave Apparitions, there are things that are worth plussing on that will be in the same deck as Kaya. So that's something, at least. Yeah, and if there's any creatures... like uh, Half the legendary creatures in this set are gods, which have mm -hmm. a flip side. And if you play those out early and put Ghost Form Counter on them and they die, you can get them back to your hand and play the other side if you want, which is kind of sure. nice. And sure. they also synergize with Kaya's ultimate, which you get to really fast because she starts at five and pluses twice. Yeah. So I think Kaya is fine, and I'm most excited about her in a Yorion kind of deck because that'll have things that are good to plus on. She is solid to blink because like getting her back up to five loyalty to minus again is is quite good she's like a fine card in that type of deck probably you need you need creatures that are worth plussing on to make this a good card she's basically a fancy outer end yeah yeah and it, she, it is neat though if you ever emblem her with the yorian decks yeah you can get yorian back even from exile <laughs> i don't know that's that's actually pretty cool like just neat in Yorian decks generally. I don't know how much play outside of that she will have, but she's fine. Probably not much, or yeah. maybe there'll be some gods that make her like worth doing ghost form stuff with. Right. She is also competing very directly in like mana cost and slot with Elspeth Conquer's death, and that's like a, a not ideal place to be for her chances of seeing a lot of play. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, now to the weird Planeswalkers. Yeah, there's three, three and a half Planeswalkers left. <laughs> so Nico Aris, Nico Aris, is a X white blue blue Planeswalker. Finally, a second card that costs X white blue blue. Has three loyalty. Uh, when Nico Aris enters the battlefield, you create X shard tokens. And shards are enchantment tokens that have two sack it, uh, scry one, then draw a card. So a little better than clues. Yeah, or a little worse than clues. Yeah, they're enchantments play. instead of artifacts. So. Right. I think for standard purposes, they're generally a little better than clues. And that's what really matters for the cards, for this card at least. And that's the only thing X matters for in this card. It's just how many shards Nico makes when they enter play. Uh, Nico's plus one is up to one target creature you control. Can't be blocked this turn. And when that creature deals damage this turn, any damage, not just combat damage, uh, return it to its owner's hand. I, I feel like that's a card text templating consideration rather than any sort of rules consideration. We got to make this three lines instead of four. Yeah, exactly. But it can be relevant, especially with uh, triggered ability stuff. Yeah, or or with Skyclave Apparition. Does Skyclave or, Apparition do damage? Well, it makes it unblockable. Yeah. And then when it hits them, it bounces to your hand and you get to use it again. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just like what the ability is, right? Right. 
But oh, oh, I see, I see. You were talking specifically about the... yeah, the templating. Yeah. So like, if you, I don't know, plus on Hellrider or whatever, when Hellrider attacks, it goes immediately to your hand before dealing right. combat damage. Yeah, this card is not a combo with Hellrider. No, this is, this, don't don't use this with Hellrider. Whenever you're cubing with Hellrider and Nico Eris, resist the temptation to put them both in the same deck. I I wonder what the count is going to be on white cards that it's like oh this works really well with Skyclave Apparition because we it's are two for two so far. Of them. It's a hundred percent of them. You have to play Skyclave, which is the best white card in standard. Right, but these just like specifically like are improved by their synergies with Skyclave Apparition, and that's funny. That's true. I mean, yeah. Well, that just makes Skyclave Apparition even better, right? And that's what you want to do. Right. Right. Sorry, we haven't even finished reading the card. Oh, Nico has two other abilities. They're both minus ones. Uh, what, the second minus one is just create a shard token. And the other minus one is Nico deals two damage to target tapped creature for each card you've drawn this turn. I don't know. What do you think? I was kind of hoping you'd give your thoughts first. Okay. Because this That's one fine. is... No, I'll, I'll go. It's fine. I'll, I'll rise to the challenge. No, I, I am happy. I just, you know, wanted to give you the opportunity because I often jump in. So I, I'm happy to be the first one to uh, give my incorrect opinion on this card. I think this card is mostly just kind of whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, I like this card a lot, actually. But <laughs> it's hard to get... A deck where you want a sorcery speed card advantage card that requires you to invest a bunch, a bunch of mana before you see any card returns. So you can't really do it in that kind of shell. So that means you have to make Nico's plus one be good. Because you can't, I don't think you can just have Nico be a like shard generating and then slash removing creatures that have attacked you with his vengeance style ability. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't think that's going to work that means you have to make the plus one work the unblockable bounce thing mm -hmm. and that's a lot harder for me to evaluate because the only card i can think of that it really works with is you know skyclave operation sure yeah I, I think i'm a little more optimistic about this thing because i think it's less like evaluating it as what deck do i have that wants an x spell that draws cards in it and more like, how can we make it so that I have a deck that kind of appreciates having the options for each of these different modes? Three mana Nico Eris is very different from five mana Nico Eris is very different from like top decked in the super late game Nico Eris where it's just like, I'm gonna dump 11 mana into this thing. So I don't know exactly what that means or what deck ends up appreciating it, but there is quite a bit of versatility here and just like several different modes and i think this card plays out super differently depending on the game state like you know if you are playing a controlling mirror and you just land this on three mana like you know you're on the play or whatever you just get to threaten playing this for three mana minus it for a shard minus it for a shard and then every other turn like you're threatening to draw an extra card and scry every other turn after that and that's like a pretty real threat in that sort of situation it's just like is this good enough in enough matchups and i wonder if just the several variables attached to this card mean that you can adjust it to be good enough in enough matchups that it's okay i hope so because it's a neat card i i think has like a pretty good amount of play with it mm -hmm. it just doesn't feel like it turns enough knobs or moves enough dials for me like 
even in the scenario where you top take this like kind of late game and you dump a bunch of mana into it to make a bunch of shards, you still haven't really done anything with your turn. Like you sure. can't, you have to spend a bunch more mana to draw cards, and that's still good if your opponent is also not in top decking something relevant. Yeah, that's very true. I wonder if there's anything that you can do with the fact that they are enchantments. You know, we've got the so the only thing I can think of is Satessin Champion because right. you can make a bunch of shards to pump him a bunch, and then plus it to make it unblockable <laughs> for and like a one hit KO. Yeah, I guess if it kills them. Uh, and I guess all that glitters is the only other thing, and that it's very unlikely that all that glitters and this card go in the same deck. So, I mean, the good thing about Satessin Champion, even though you're banned at that point, which is three colors, you do draw a card off of all of your shards. Right. So, you know, you're getting a lot of card advantage. Yeah. In my, like, significant experience trying to make Satessin Champion work, it's just not a thing you can spend your turn three doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, unfortunately, I'm not sure that that's the thing that's going to make Nico Eris playable. I think the question is just, like, in a mid-rangey or more reactive blue-white deck, is this versatile enough? Is it good in enough spots that you want it? And we'll see. I just don't know the answer to that question. And probably we should move on to some of the other weird cards that we have previews of. All right, I'm going to go to Tybalt, which is hidden on the back of another card. <laughs> which makes it kind of bonkers that it's the back because there's weird stuff you can do because the front is two mana so Valky God of Lies is the front side it's a 1B legendary 2-1 god uh, when Valky enters the battlefield each opponent reveals their hand and then you exile a creature card each opponent is revealed that way until Valky leaves the battlefield then you can pay X and choose a creature card exiled with Valky to have Valky become a copy of that card with converted my cost X. This would be a nice way to punish Uro decks if we still had those running around. That's a solid sequence of turn two Valky, take your Uro before you are about to use it, turn three, attack you with an Uro. Luckily, we still get to punish the Croxa decks in the very same way. <laughs> but those decks have so much removal. Yes, and unlike ravenous rats this is valky is a is a brain maggot like a kexel freebooter type of card so as soon yeah. as you kill valky they get their card back anyways he's got another side to him yeah so the other side is tybalt cosmic imposter which is a 5 br so seven mana total planeswalker for five starting loyalty has the static ability as tybalt enters the battlefield you get an emblem that emblem has, you may play cards exiled with Tybalt, Cosmic Imposter, and you may spend mana as though it were a mana of any color to play those cards, to cast those spells. Tybalt's plus two is exile the top card of each player's library, a plus two, not a plus one. Tybalt's minus three is exile target artifact or creature. Tybalt's minus eight is exile all cards from all graveyards, and then add three red mana to your pool. It's kind of funny to me that this is just kind of the biggest and most complicated Obnixilis that they've made. Well, you get the you get the emblem like up front though, right? But the emblem just allows the plus two to be a card advantage thing, allows the minus three to be like a better version of an Obnixilis minus, and then allows the ultimate to be an ultimate. So it's really just several parts put together to be a big old Obnixilis. 
I like it a lot because it allows you to play lands with Tybalt. Mm-hmm. So you can play out their lands even or your lands even if you don't really hit spells for a turn. Right. And you're already on seven mana, but the fact that you're like putting seven mana spells in your deck means you probably are fine making land drops like eight through ten. Yeah, and you're always going to have spells to play because you're drawing at least three cards a turn with Tybalt right. on the battlefield, right? <laughs> yeah. This feels like a very good six mana planeswalker that would that just like costs seven because you get to have a two mana spell on the other side of it. And that seems like a really good place for a card to be. Yeah, I really, really like Tybalt. I, I don't know how good Valky is specifically. I think it's just a defensible turn two play, which is really good on the backside of a powerful seven drop. I honestly can't wait to take someone's questing beast or some three drop like Lovestruck Beast that I know is just going to make life so much more difficult for me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so many standard decks are built around creatures. Like, you're just going to... And, and the fact that it gives it back is like less damaging with creatures in some ways because you're disrupting their curve like yeah. when they have two removal spells in hand and you take one with a kite sail freebooter and they use one on that when they need it the other one back like you didn't always do a lot when their turn three was going to be their whatever three drop and you take it and then they just like kind of skip a turn or do something way worse or use a removal spell on your two drop when they're the aggressive deck, like those are all really good things for you. Yeah, the upside too of taking Lovestruck Beast specifically is that the next turn Valky can just be a five five against a deck that had Lovestruck Beast in it. So right. it's gonna be great. I'm I'm like really into this card. Like I I like Tybalt a lot because it's a sweet card, mm-hmm. and I think Valky will just help a bunch. And hopefully, <laughs> the weird thing is this: if this kind of shell gets popular, you're probably gonna see more Croxes. And then Valky kind of preys on itself in that way. Sure. Maybe. I I bet that the Valky Tybalt decks are not... The I same mean, as they, the Croxa decks? Right. They may not be like these total resource denial decks. They may be more... I don't know if you really want to ramp with Tybalt, but they may just be more kind of tradey sort of decks, kind of reactive, but not necessarily like trying to make everybody's hands zero cards or whatever so i i agree with you i think any deck that wants to cast tibble at all is going to mm-hmm. be wanting more skew towards card advantage or late game scaling yeah and not yeah. trying to like turbo mill with mire triton and stuff like that right because you but... never hit seven mana that like like that's not what happens when you're spending cards on mire triton and but Timber i also have a dead. really hard time imagining a red black deck not playing at least a croxa or two in standard yeah, that's probably fair. Anyway, I think that's enough about Tibble, unless you've got something else. Probably. The only thing that I've got is also that there is some cute stuff you can do because it is a two-mana creature on one side. Like, the main thing to to understand about this card under the rules is anything that, like, lets you search up Valky and exile it and cast it, you can then cast the Tibble side of it. So in particular, if you cascade into Valky, you can cast the Tybalt side of the card. So, you know, that's kind of cute. I don't know if that ever really comes up in modern or whatever. Just a, a weird little thing to keep in mind. You can bring Delight Valky into Tybalt as well. Yes, that's, yeah, exactly. You, you can definitely do that. Which honestly is within Pioneer power level, probably. Like that's a very good five mana thing to do. 
Valky is not a thing you can hit off of Niv-Mizzet, though. No, but Valky is also good against, like, the best card in Pioneer, Uro. Mm. True. <laughs> True. I mean, yeah, like, I, I could definitely see this doing something in Pioneer, for sure. And then having that interaction with just, like, sometimes you hit five and get way more than five mana worth of a Planeswalker, and that, that seems really good. Well, let's go on to the most conventional slash weirdest Planeswalker in the set. <laughs> this is Tyvar Kel, a 2GG, 3 loyalty Planeswalker that has a static of elves you control have tap at a black mana. So they become kind of elves of deep shadow. Mm-hmm. Tyvar's plus one is put a plus plus one counter on up to one target elf, untap it, it gains death touch until end of turn. Tyvar zero is create a 1-1 green elf warrior creature token, which is also a land or elf, kind of. And Tyvar's minus six is you get an emblem with whenever you cast an elf spell, it gains haste until end of turn, and you draw two cards. That's funny. That's really cute that it just like becomes glimpse of nature elves if you ult this thing your deck just is that combo deck yeah it's a it's a turbo glimpse you just draw yeah. two for every only elf but yeah right and they all have haste and probably you will have another tyvar in play pretty quick after ulting this so they all make mana immediately yeah so it's, it's cool that it makes black mana because it makes the mono green like you can't just you can't just play a bunch of green elves over and over true. again true true so it's kind of neat that it adds black mana because all the elves in the set are like black green mm -hmm. tribal, kind of like lower one. So yeah, what do you think about Tyvar? I mean, I'm probably I'm not. I don't think this card's gonna do very much. Like it's it's plus is so anemic. It's zero is so anemic. Like, uh, is is your deck is that static gonna do that much in any particular deck? I don't know. So I'm not totally sure where this thing finds any home. Yeah, so I'm pretty low on Tyvar, kind of. But there's like two other cards that reference him in the set. One of which I think is actually really good. Okay. Uh, and also, before I move on to those two cards, I will say that I've played Nissa Ravain in Standard. Which is the other elf tribal planeswalker. <laughs> so I'm like predisposed to liking weird elf tribal decks. That's fair. Uh, but anyway, like the, one of the good cards I think that references Tyvar is uh, Harold, King of Skemfar. This is going to be another set where I just don't get the names. Uh, but this is a 1BG32 Legendary Elf Warrior with Menace. And when it enters the battlefield, you look at the top five cards of your library. You can pick an Elf, a Warrior, or a Tyvar from among them <laughs> and put it into your hand. And then you shuffle the rest of the bottom of your library. Uh, I like this card because it's basically a Turbo Rogue Refiner. Yeah. That's not a bad card. I'm like, I, that is a card that makes me kind of want to do black green elf stuff. And if that involves Tyvar, then like so be it, I guess. Um, yeah, Tyvar is not that bad of a card if you're getting it like with frequency attached to other stuff. Sure. Because at base value, Tyvar is a mana engine from the creatures you played previously, and produces elves to protect itself. Right. Yeah. I mean. Maybe there is an elf deck. Like, it certainly requires more pieces than a card advantage three drop and an okay four mana planeswalker that works nicely with the three drop. Like, we need to figure out what our engine is doing and where yeah. our end game is going and that sort of thing, right? So. And there's uh, another four mana rare 
that references Tyvar. It's a saga. It's a 2BG enchantment saga called Herald Unites the Elves. Uh, chapter 1 is mill 3 cards, and you can put an elf or Tyvar card from the graveyard from your graveyard to the battlefield. Uh, chapter 2 is put a plus 1 plus 1 counter on each elf you control. And chapter 3 is whenever an elf you control attacks this turn, target creature and opponent controls gets minus 1, minus 1 until end of turn. So these last three cards are really just a little theme deck that yeah. kind of like goes together, yeah. And I, I like Herald Unites the Elves as a better payoff than Tyvar, to be honest, because it's a giant anthem for your board if you're playing mm -hmm. like a go-wide Elves deck like Elves typically play. Yeah. Because chapter one, you get a free Elf into play. Chapter two, they're all big. Yeah, and then chapter three... Yeah, you decimate their board. <laughs> yeah. Big attack, but probably if you had enough Elves... I I, I think chapter three mostly doesn't matter because if like if they survive your first attack with a bunch of elves, mm -hmm. they're not going to survive the second one regardless of chapter three. And right. if they did survive it, chapter three is probably not going to be very relevant. But there are some games where it's like you put plus one plus one counters on your elves and you're like, okay, my attacks are okay, but kind of medium. Let's give it a turn. And yeah. then that ends the game in any creature based matchup. I mean, these cards do encourage you to play some number of Tyvars in your deck because, like, that's if you're going to put something into play with the chapter one, it's nice to put in a four mana planeswalker off of your four mana card. So, yeah, and I, I like that the best answer to this enchantment is kind of like a wrath effect after chapter two. Like, you shadow this guy their board, and then you can play a second Herald Unites the Elves, which can pull the Tyvar out of your graveyard, and then that gives you another card. So you can like build your board back up pretty easily. Yeah. Like this is contingent on other elves existing and it being like a playable standard deck. But I think like these cards have enough like synergy and power that it can hold a reasonable number of uh, medium to good level power level of elves. Yeah, I, I, I can see something here. Now we also need to make sure that we have the cheap elves to help like yeah. build out the rest of the deck. But like... There's a reason to be doing this between these cards, I feel like. And it, it depends on lots of stuff, but like I can see it for sure. Yeah, just give me like a uh, Boreal Druid. That'd be great. That's the yeah, Snowman Elf. The Snowman Elf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're getting that probably, but I, it would be a big difference maker for this. Because like the, the best cards in Elves decks traditionally have been Lords and Mana Dorks. And we really don't have any of those, so it'd be nice to get some. Well, Tyvar does turn your dorks into mana dorks after you've already played a four <laughs> drops, so... Uh. This, so, <laughs> I put these cards on here because I like thought they were neat and like a cool package. Mm -hmm. But as we've been talking about them more, I'm like, yeah, man, I want to play elves. I and I have no so. idea why. <laughs> because I don't like tribal decks, and I hate green-black decks. But man, I love playing some elves. <laughs> I can probably temper your excitement about doing this with two words. Don't do it. Uh, extinction event. Ugh. Man. <laughs> I know. Especially because this elves deck is like really graveyardy and stuff it looks like. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, that's, that's a bummer. Yeah. Whatever. I'm just going to keep dreaming and probably play elves day one. Spend a bunch of wild cards and have it be bad. Well, well. On the bright side, you won't be able to use those cards in any other deck you ever play. Yeah, that's the bright side. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so your looks like our bucket two here is just like all the foretell cards. Yeah, I kind of wanted to like talk about the mechanic foretell. That seems smart. 
So what foretell is, is kind of like a morph slash suspend variant. So foretell is, during your turn, you can pay two generic and exile the card with foretell from your hand face down. So your opponent doesn't know what it is. Uh, and then you can cast it for its foretell cost on any turn. And all the foretell cards are usually cheaper than their actual card they're on. So for instance, uh, the first card I just pulled up was Allrin's Epiphany, which is a seven mana five UU sorcery, which is create two one one birds with flying, then take an extra turn and exile Allrin's Epiphany. So just a seven mana time warp that makes two birds. Mm-hmm. But it's also got foretell for four UU. So if you exile it for two mana, prior to casting it it's only six mana so you can kind of like lay away you can split the cost up between several turns i i think foretell is really cool i especially really like it as a limited mechanic because it it just reduces the amounts of games that like are decided by one player's cards not lining up with a natural curve and mana being wasted and getting tempoed out of the game because like up didn't make it two and then whatever um, and so Fortel helps make that not happen as often. I think that's really good. For constructed purposes, it's also a little less interesting in constructed because you'll usually know the card that they foretold in constructed. There's only going to be so many playable ones in any given deck. But it still has some of that same level of, like, I wasn't going to do anything good on my turn two, but foretelling a card is actually really good in my deck. That's a nice thing to have. It's also, like, on some of these specific cards, it does, like, very specific, neat things. Like, especially on this uh, Inspiration with Fortell. Like, that, like, having Fortell on that card makes it so much of a better magic card than, uh, you know, this is Behold the Multiverse. Before you read it, I'm going to cut you off. Because, yeah, yeah, we we can read it. I just want to talk about, like, these two cards as a package. Because that's how I think Constructed Fortell is going to play out. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, if Fortel matters at all when constructed, it's going to be among decks with two Fortel costs, Fortel cards that have differing goals to play around them. Mm-hmm. So these two cards is the Inspiration and the Cancel, right? Four man- Behold the Multiverse is four mana instant, scry two, draw two cards, and saw it coming is a Cancel, one UU instant counter target spell. They both have the same Fortel cost of one and a blue. So when you're playing it against a blue deck or as a blue deck and they pay two an exile card for foretell, it can be either a counter spell or a card draw spell, which have vastly different incentives between mm-hmm. how to play around them. Because if they're playing a card draw spell, you want to play into stuff so they can't counter your stuff. Or they have to decide between countering your things or drawing cards to get advantage to get purchased in the game. And if they have a counter spell, you don't want to play into it. Right. And then if they don't, they have a card draw spell instead, it's it's bad. So Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I wonder how much it's going to play out like that and how much it's going to play out like you just assume that they foretold the card draw card and play accordingly because like that's the one they're going to want to foretell the most often because it's a deeper discount and it makes it more likely that they will double spell on a turn where they cast a reactive spell and then draw two cards so you just kind of like mostly play the game out like that's what they were able to do but i i don't know how the games are going to play out in in this like foretell 
era. But I, I, I agree that that's probably going to be a really common thing is they're going to foretell and you're just going to be like, do they have counter spells or card drawing? Like, what is it? Yeah, and that's going to be interesting how people decide to tackle that. And I think it's going to take like two or three specific cards in a deck before tell before that mechanic like becomes relevant constructed. Because mm-hmm. there's another one at the end of the list here that's kind of like what you were talking about. It's Dual Strike, which is a, a red-red instant, which is whenever you cast your next instant sorcery spell with Converted Mind Cost 4 or less this turn, copy that spell and you can choose new targets. It has foretell for a red mana. So this is a card you would just never play in any deck unless you're trying to break it. And those decks aren't going to be playing foretell cards that interact, you know? So if you're, I don't know, Lotus Field opponent or something, foretells a card, you know they're just getting a discount on a later turn for their foretell copy card. <laughs> you're not going to play around anything. Your historic Ral combo opponent is... Yeah. This is this is the only foretell card in that deck. Yeah, and I think most of the time, foretell will play out like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the mechanics don't line up like those two blue cards do. Right, but I mean specifically those two blue cards that it does line up, and I have a hard time imagining any deck with any cancel variant. And I think like this this cancel variant is the, I mean neutralize is very good. But I, especially if you have multiple instant speed things in your deck, or if you have spells that you want to get down and provide counterspell cover for, like this is a very good version of a cancel. I can't imagine that you're playing any cancel deck without putting Behold the Multiverse in it, because that is a really good inspiration. Yeah, I, I like the difference between two mana counterspells and three mana counterspells is also huge, mm-hmm. especially if you've played a deck like the Blue Black Control deck with Ugin from a you know, month or so back where frequently I would be like, I wish this neutralized in my hand were just a negate or an essence scatter because I could plan my turns around it so much easier. Yeah. I mean, a certain level of the strength of a two-mana counterspell is when you're on the draw and need to do something on turn two and cancel doesn't do that. Yes. But yes, certainly a, a lot of the strength comes from like, I'd like to draw a card with this Maze Mind Tome and counter, counter your spell, please. And... So I don't know how much foretelling really helps with Maze Mind Tome. Like that's a lot of two, but but maybe you foretell your saw it coming, and then you hold up cancel on turn three, and then if they don't play anything into it, you can hold up cancel as you cast your main Maze Mind Tome on turn four, and then if they don't cast anything into that, then you just get to draw a card. Like that that might work fine. Foretell seems cool. Definitely really interested in it for limited, and there looks like there's some specific stuff it's gonna make the cut and constructed yeah we can skip most of these i just kind of put every foretell card on this sheet sure but i wanted to hit on like a couple uh cosmos charger is a 3u 3-3 with flash and flying it's a horse spirit (laughs) Uh, it also says foretelling cards from your hand costs one less and can be done on any player's turn and itself has foretell for two and you so i think this card's not good (laughs) <laughs> because it's too slow and the stats are not good in any like way it's a it's a four mana three three flyer with flash which is not stellar i have seen some discussion that it is worth playing in kind of like flash decks or like drago decks because you can you know flash it in then all of your foretell cards are cheap and easy to foretell out and make the mana reduction better but mm-hmm. i don't think it's ever really gonna play out like that 
because the card itself is just too weak. Yeah. I would love a standard where playing like a four mana three three flash fl- flyer out at the end of my opponent's turn is like part of a good game plan but that doesn't seem super likely to me yeah we'll get to a card that i think is one of the best in the set i don't know if people i haven't seen much discussion on it uh, it's warren Klex, a spoiler but like that card is gigantic <laughs> and <laughs> I, I, I don't want to be playing four mana three threes to when my opponent can be playing six mana six sixes with haste yeah, Vorinclex is a real one. We will get to that. That's that's a card. But it definitely makes four mana 3-3 three, three horses look a little bit silly. And like even cards like Questing Beast, Bonecrusher Giant, basically the Eldrian cards, mm-hmm. <laughs> they are also still in the format. Sure. And those are aggressive cards. In Burkleave, Cosmos Charger, not, it's not its time to shine. Yeah. I, it doesn't seem likely that that's the way to do it. You just want to play your good foretold cards that are like pretty good on rates, and it seems unlikely that you want to play a deck that's so dense on foretold cards that you want Cosmos Charger. Like, there aren't going to be that many good foretell cards that you can stick into one deck. There's only one set of them, so you don't really need a foretell lord. It just doesn't seem likely to me, yeah. Uh, quick hits here with Raven Form. It's a 2U sorcery with foretell for a single blue mana so you can split up the cost pretty evenly there uh, but what it does is you exile target artifact or creature and its controller makes a 1-1 blue bird token with flying uh, this card is just kind of weird because it's mostly a pongify but it also naps artifacts for some reason which blue has not really done before mm-hmm. but it's not an instant so it can't be used for like stopping yourself from dying to ember cleave sure yeah yeah it's like maybe something with some niche application but definitely not a obviously good card i i think it may see some sideboard play here and there if some like super scary creature or and or artifact is relevant in the format but it's just like don't want to spend a minute just talking about this card existing in blue kind of like feed the swarm existing in black made it be able to deal with enchantments yeah so yeah more maybe more of an indicator of things to come than anything else sure which of these foretell cards do you want to talk about? Want to talk about the angel card? Uh, sure. This is going to kill a lot of people in Limited. So this is Starnheim Unleashed, a two-white-white sorcery that says create a 4-4 angel warrior token with flying and vigilance. If the spell was foretold, create X of those tokens instead. And the foretell cost is XX white. Yeah, so you get one angel for three mana, two angels for five mana, which is probably the sweet spot there. That's that's a really good t- turn five. Yeah, so the, the base rate of the card is four mana for a four four for a, for a Sarah Angel. So it's a four mana Sarah Angel. Yeah. And the if you foretell it for two extra mana, you get the option to scale your spell up really high. Um yeah, this card is gonna be completely unbeatable and limited, and that is it's like an offensive card to exist in limited. I mean, yeah, but at least it's a mythic, much yeah. like Entreat the Angels before it. Though Entreat the Angels was saved by that limited format being just so bad that I never it died just to Entreat the Angels. Matter. Yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> just, just dying just to Entreat the Angels is fine. At least you don't have to play any more of this game of Avicen Restored Limited. Yeah, thank God. The Mist Ravens have finished killing me. Now the angels can finish the job. <laughs> This card might. I don't know if this card will see constructed play. It's kind of neat, though. Like, I don't. It's a sorcery, and Shark Typhoon exists, so it probably pushes it out. But it um, kind of harkens back to Decree of Justice vibes a little bit. Yeah. I mean, the 
the space taken up by Shark Typhoon and Ameria's Call seems to kind of reduce the slots that this thing would go into. That's fair, yeah. So I, I, I don't necessarily see this doing anything. Definitely, like, solid rate if you want 4-4 Flying Vigilance Angels, but I'm not sure if you, who does. Since the last time we played a 4-mana 4-4 Flyer was to scry to our fires invention very quickly. Right. I would assume the answer is no one wants this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other Tortell card I wanted to kind of touch on was Crush the Week, mm-hmm. which is a 2R sorcery for Fortell red mana, single red mana. Uh, Crush the Week deals 2 damage to each creature, and if a creature dealt damage this way, it would die this turn, exile it instead. So it's a pyroclasm with the exile hate, hate text. So 3 mana for this effect has usually been very bad. Yeah. Because it's just too late after they develop creatures and you can't really do anything after playing it because you use your turn three to kill their stuff and you're done. Mm-hmm. Fortell makes it a little more interesting, maybe a little more playable because you can use your turn two to foretell it and then your turn three you can play a four, you can play it for its foretell cost to clear their stuff out of the way, avoiding any dice triggers, and then have two mana open to do with what you will. Mm-hmm. So it's a little better in that way. I don't know if it reaches the is playable stage, but yeah. it is certainly better than every other three mana variant of this card they've printed. Well, and the exile clause is really important too because creatures that small and constructed tend to be like yeah. shenanigans creatures that often have like graveyard things or dies triggers or whatever. So I can see it. Like it's a card to keep in mind if there's a deck that it's good against, basically. Yeah, that that's all. It's kind of like the um I know there's a million infests now that exile creatures, but for the life of me I can't think of one. The name oh, of sure. one. Yeah, yeah. Cry of the Carnarium. Yeah, Cry of the Carnarium. Uh and being in red is makes that like that's an important thing to have is it's in red so if you're not in black you can do this like it could even have application in some older formats and stuff like in historic a red deck might need a cry of the carnarium like that's certainly possible cool i think i'm done with foretell okay should we move on to some snow cards yeah this is kind of deceptive Mm -hmm. because i made this bucket snow bucket before Kind of, I started this document a few days ago before like many of the spoilers and there weren't any that were worth putting in the bucket but it's still a mechanic in the set so I thought we should talk about it and basically Snow's just kind of like added flavor in this set <laughs> it's not most of it's limited focused I think all the snow mana costs are on like shades and stuff like pump their power and toughness or like mm-hmm. have a bonus if you have a bunch of them Gotcha. not too much in the constructed playable range uh, in fact, the first card that I have here is Draugr Necromancer, uh, which is a 3B44, just a snow creature zombie cleric, that has very little to do with the fact that it's a snow card. It says that if a non-token creature an opponent controls would die, exile the card with an ice counter on it instead. And then you can cast spells from among card in exile, your opponent's own, with ice counters on them, and you may spend mana of snow sources as though it were mana of any color to cast those spells and that's kind of how snow works in the set most of the time it's just like a sprinkling you don't have to go like heavy snow the way modern horizons 2 or cold snap mm-hmm. really wanted you to go where sure. you know if you want merrill age you got to play like 10 snow permanents or whatever it was 
it's mostly just like for this card you want a few snow lands in play or have to have snow lands so you can cast your opponent's spells and that's kind of all it requires yeah i mean this card is not playable this is not one of the cards that i'm excited about but it's certainly a good example of that approach to snow generally yeah and like the next card is just another example frostbite which is a little more constructed playable but i don't mm -hmm. know if it hits the mark so frostbite is a red mana snow instant which is a little weird because until now snow has only ever been on permanent types it's never been on an instant sorcery <laughs> right uh, i think it's mostly just a marker or to work with scrying sheets for whatever reason who knows anyway I, I, it's mostly like it seems like they're mostly putting it on stuff that works with your snow stuff. Like all the snow stuff is labeled that way, and and then they get to give it the snow frame, so you know that it, you know, it's a visual marker. Uh, but frostbite is just deal two damage to target creature or planeswalker, and if you have three or more snow permanents, you deal three damage instead. So it's yeah. a tiny little upgrade for snow, instead of the previous like frostbite we had, which was scred, which yeah. just was a. <laughs> scaled magnificently with each snow permanent you had on the battlefield right uh and and definitely required you to just absolutely max out on snow basics in your deck or else it wasn't a good card this one even if you didn't really hit can at least like it's always going to kill their one or two mana creature so i i think this card is probably going to see some play because it, as long as there is a reactive deck that is red and can have have enough basics and maybe something else in its its mana base or permanent base that it hits three relatively often. And I guess what it really depends on is there being an aggressive enough deck in the format that you get paid off for having one mana removal in your deck. So yeah. that is important. But like this card is good against like rogues too. So I, I don't know, just like the efficiency and the fact that it's going to kill whatever their one drop is and then also can scale to hit their three mana stuff as well is pretty decent. I, like, I'm a fan of this card. And the fact that it hits Planeswalkers is a huge, huge upside too. Yeah, because Shock is solid, right? But mm -hmm. if you're a reactive deck, you don't often care about hitting their face unless you just drew four of them and haven't used them for a long time. Right, but you do really care about hitting Planeswalkers. Well, Shock can do that too, but you get the extra, like, perk of dealing a bunch of damage. Right, With right. Well, and, and that's why I'm just saying that, you know, stuff like Scred, you know, basically falls lower and lower as time goes on because not being able to hit Planeswalkers with that stuff is actually, like, a huge thing. Yeah, so we really wish to receive an upgraded Scred that hits Planeswalkers. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> just one minute, just target target Planeswalker. You've got well, a bunch you, of Snowlands in play. You know those those Scred players who can now run eight Screds would be really happy. And they deserve it, I think. Yeah, I think that that's a totally fine thing to do. Uh, the next card is actually my favorite Snow card in the entire set so far. It's Jorn, or maybe Jorn, God of Winter. It's a legendary Snow Creature God. It's a 3-3 three, three for 2G. Uh, whenever Jorn attacks untap each snow permanent you control it has a flip side it's a dual a double face card uh the the back side's actually a blue black card and it's a green side on the it's a green card on the front uh the back side is Caldrig the rhyme staff a one ub legendary snow artifact with a tap ability of you may play target snow permanent card from your graveyard this turn and if you do it enters the battlefield tapped yeah Caldrig is really cool like i, I think both cards are really cool yeah, and, and I, I 
think it's cute like the small synergies that they have between all the gods and their weapons or like trademark artifacts yeah like it, it attacks and you get to untap your rhyme staff and then you get to play another snow permanent from your graveyard like that's it it's not a huge thing but i appreciate the the design cohesion there i also appreciate a mana doubler that both has summoning sickness only works on a small subtype of permanence and makes it very difficult within the small type of permanence to cast the back half of the card. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Fable Passage is going to be getting a lot of work in this format. Not that it yeah. hasn't, but... I mean, yeah, but you'll still play like Zagoth Triumph and you'll be a little sad when it doesn't untap, you know? For sure. It is funny, though, how like Fable Passage got spoiled and we were like, oh, thank God, like we thought our mana bases were going to be horrible. This card's going to be really good. And we were already playing four of Fable Passages in a lot of decks. And then like every set has had things that are explicitly way better with Fable Passage. Like Landfall. Thank God I have this Fetchland. I want to play a lot of Basics because there you have the Snow type. Thank God I've got Fable Passage. Like it's just funny how explicitly cards work well with Fable Passage. I don't know if I've complained about this to you specifically or if I've just talked to other people about it. But when they previewed uh, Prismatic Vista in Modern Horizons, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is perfect. They should just put this card in standard. It's, it only gets basics. It's a mm-hmm. fetch land, and it's good, right? It's it's perfect. And then they put Fabled Passage and Throne of Eldraine shortly afterward. And I'm like, yeah, okay, this is still good, but I really would rather prefer an untapped yeah. land so Agronex could be better. And then ever since then, they've just like printed Landfall and all this stuff. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> I understand why Fabled Passage is here, but yeah. we should really consider some prismatic vistas for the future when this is not such a big problem. Yeah. Right, when there aren't explicit payoffs for it, then I think prismatic vista would be a cool thing to to have access to in standard, but probably better to not have that right now. Yeah, so anyways, Jorn, God of Winter, and Cauldring the Rhyme Staff. I'm like super into this. I hope that it works. It's a cool, grindy card advantage engine that revolves around not only this thing being a permanent, but it only gets you advantage with permanence. And so it's very board-based, and I don't know what snow stuff you're going to want to keep casting from your graveyard, so hopefully there's something neat to do with it. Yeah, we will see. I mean, worst case... You know, if they kill your Jorn, you can get it back with your second copy. That's true. That is actually pretty cool. Yeah. Like, it's very likely that the synergy between the two will play out if you ever draw two copies. So that's kind of neat. Yeah, I I hope there's a bunch more snow permits that are, like, worthwhile playing. Otherwise, it's just going to kind of flop. Though it is a really cool commander card, I think, because it's a Sultai color identity card. Mm -hmm. And you could play with all the snow permits from all the other sets. Yeah, if you have a Paradox engine in play... Well, not in Commander, you can't. Okay, right, sure. (laughs) Okay, yeah. If you have a Paradox engine in play, there's nothing stopping you, and you have two copies of Cauldring the Rhyme Staff, there's nothing stopping you from... And you have mana from non-land permanents. You can just, like, keep Rhyme Staffing, right? Um, Yeah, until a judge tells you to stop, you can do that. But, I mean, like, you know, that is... That that is an infinite combo is 
rhyme staffing. And so if you're getting anything else out of your untaps, then that, that should do it. That's a pretty nice little self-contained combo. Yeah, there's there's ways to combo with Paradox Engine that are way easier, but this is this is well, a combo. <laughs> this is I don't know. That's something. But yes, probably in larger formats that you have access to Paradox Engine, you're not going to be filling your deck up with snow permanence to make Cauldring the Rhyme Staff work. Like, yes. But but, but when you pull it off, your opponent will be like, you know what? You you got this one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what else do we got here? I have Morite of the Frost, who's a 2GUU legendary snow creature shapeshifter with Changeling. It's a 0 0. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you can have Enter the Battlefield as a copy of any permanent you control, except it's legendary and it's snow and it has all the creature types. No. Yeah. If it it's a creature, it has all the creature types. And yeah. if it's a creature, it enters with two plus one plus one counters. So I initially thought this card was really cool. Because it can mm-hmm. copy anything, much like mm-hmm. Clever Impersonator. You can only copy a permanent you control, though. Yeah, then I realized it could only copy a permanent you controlled. Yeah. So I didn't like it nearly as much. Also, seeing this next to Faceless Haven makes it really bother me that it only gets the two plus one plus one counters if the thing it's copying is a creature. But, man, if I copy a man land, I should get the two plus one plus one counters on my man land. Yeah, that's kind of weird. It's also got the same motif with the horns between Moria and Faceless Haven. Oh, yeah. Like, they're definitely, like, related in some way. Because Faceless Haven is a changeling land. Uh, this yeah, let's is, just uh, stop talking about this, uh, right. this snow card and just talk about Faceless Haven. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Faceless Haven is a snow land. Tap out a colorless. Snow, snow, snow. It becomes a 4-3 creature with vigilance and all creature types until end of turn. It's still a land. Uh, this is a payoff for being pretty snow heavy. Like this is a great man land. It it actually might be a, a bad one too. Yeah. Because if you're trying to pay triple snow, mm-hmm. there are common to play tapped snow duels in this set, but generally you don't want to play coastal towers in your deck. Sure. And if you're playing a bunch of basics, that's got its own mana issues. So, yeah, I mean, this seems like a bonus for being like a, a monocolored snow deck. Then you can yeah. have all basics and like the having a colorless land in your deck is not that big of a deal. And it's it's a 4-3 for a 3-mana activation cost and it doesn't come into play tapped. So it's like a really, like, it massively increases the power level of a monocolored snow-based deck. Yeah, I think that's where it finds its home in, in monocolored aggro decks. Yeah. So once they spoil Scred 2, we'll know exactly which color it goes in. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure this card will see plenty of play. And I mean, it has specific requirements, but it's a it's a solid card. And so whenever it finds a home, it's going to be really good in that home. Uh, the only other snow card I have on here is I put on as a joke. Mm-hmm. It's Sulphurus Mire. This is one of the coming to play tap snow duels. Mm-hmm. It's the red black one. These are swamp mountains or like land types instead yeah. of so you can fetch them and stuff, which is really cool for uh, things you'd want to do that for, like Farseek and Popper maybe. Not Farseek. Uh, I mean, I guess you can't do Farseek into the north stuff like that. But this card specifically, Sulphur Smire, I just thought was funny because it depicts a swamp on fire, talking about burning tar and lava, and it's a snow-covered <laughs> land. 
<laughs> it's just like, well, how? How is the snow there? It's just pretty magical snow. It's gotta be. Extra, it would stand all that temperature. Extra cold. <laughs> Alright, what else are we looking at? Uh, the rest is just all the other cards, so pick out whatever you want to talk about and let's talk about it. Alright, uh, let's talk about this Odin card. Okay. Is that Allrand? Yeah. So Allrand, God of the Cosmos, three blue blue for a 1-1 one, one god. Gets plus one plus one for each card in your hand and each foretold card you own in exile. At the beginning of your end step, choose a card type, then reveal the top two cards of your library. Put all cards of the chosen type into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. And the backside of it is Hako Whispering Raven, one and a blue for a 2-3 flying. Whenever it deals combat damage to a player, return it to its owner's hand, then scry two. So the joke of this card is that you attack with the raven, you scry, return it to your hand, cast all around, and then you know what your top card is, so you get to name the correct type and get it into your hand. Is like the like that's the story that this card it's tells you. It's a one card synergy. You don't even have to have two copies of this card to get the yeah. job done. Well it's Odin, he's very powerful. Yeah, this card is really, really cool. It's a really neat design, and it's it like is. super unplayable. Yeah, I, I think that is mostly true. <laughs> I mean, there's something to be said for like, hey, it's a card advantage E5 drop that you can also like play a two mana blocker uh, as one part of it. Uh, that's It's just like the five mana side of it is just not really good enough. Like it's not a reliable card advantage engine, and it's just a creature, so it can just die to removal and you just need more out of your fives. You can blink the Haka to get the Allrend on the cheap because Allrend is the front side. So if you Charming Prince Haka, you get Allrend. That's not a huge payoff. It's not. Uh, and if you Thassa Haka, then you get Allrend after the beginning of your end step, so you miss a trigger. <laughs> so Well, that's the same for Charming Priest too, right? Oh yeah, it returns out at the end. It's it is the same for Charming Prince. Yeah, this that's really gross. Though. And Yorion. Yeah, yeah. So that that's a pretty big beating. Honestly, just a lovely card design. It's a really cool card. It's yeah. got lovely art. Yeah, Sadly, no, this... it will not see much play in constructed. <laughs> no, but it'll see a ton of casual play. Like, you know, this is a really cool card that is like wouldn't change a single thing about it. The fact that I'm not going to cast it in standard like doesn't mean that it's not a great card to have in the set. Uh, I want to talk about Glimpse of the Glimpse of the Cosmos. Sure. It's a one-use sorcery that is anticipated. Look at the top three cards of your library, put one in your hand, the rest on the bottom in any order. But as long as you control a giant, you can cast it from your graveyard, cast Glimpse of the Cosmos from your graveyard by paying the blue rather than paying its mana cost. And if you cast it this way, exile it. Um, yeah, I'm really glad Uro's not legal anymore. Right? That's the only thing I could think about when I'm looking at this card. I'm like, there are no blue giants in Magic, so they're all in this set, or Uro, <laughs> or Frost Titan. <laughs> right, and like an Uro deck that like has some self-mill elements to fuel Uro, and then also just puts one mana card draws into its graveyard. This, yeah, because uh... I, I think this card is really bad. It's one you for anticipate as a sorcery, a card which is played as an instant, almost nowhere, basically nowhere. Right. So the only real reason to play this card is to cast it from your graveyard, 
And I haven't seen any giants so far that, you know, other than Uro itself, yeah. that really fulfill that. But it works so well with Uro. You escape Uro. It really Uro, does. <laughs> put an island into play, cast this. Like, jeez. What if you just play Seder Wayfinder, mill mm-hmm. into Glimpse the Cosmos and Uro? Mm-hmm. Then, yeah. you know, the eventually you'll get an Uro. It's so much better when you don't have to play Glimpse the Cosmos before you cast Glimpse the Cosmos from your graveyard. <laughs> Um, but yeah. I mean, at the same time, it asks, it really asks the question: How much card advantage do you need after escaping Uro? <laughs> I, I'll I'll take some extra. The <laughs> fact that it costs one mana and you get a mana by putting a land into play with Uro is just too neat of a little package to not be like, yeah, this is probably good. Oh, I still don't think like even in Pioneer where you can play Uro. Or, obviously, it's way too weak for Modern, but like in Pioneer, I still think it's not good enough. <laughs> No, probably not. I mean, Uro's legal and historic. I try not to think about historic, though. That's fair. All right, your turn. Pick a card. Mm, I like Egon, God of Death, just because he makes me think of Ghostbusters. Why? Because <laughs> one of the Ghostbusters is named Egon. Oh, really? I didn't yes. know that. I've never seen it. The, the one played by um, Harold Ramis is named Egon. Also, you have never seen ghostbusters no i have not it's... i haven't seen very many movies oh man when this pandemic is over you're gonna have to come over and we will watch ghostbusters oh okay so does that movie age well though yeah it actually ages really well it it holds up it it's very funny still and it's just still excellent that and groundhog day are like two of the bill murray movies from that era that are still extremely extremely watchable Maybe even before the pandemic is over, because one of the things that I'm doing with my house is I'm building up a backyard hangout area that's going to include a big drop down screen and like outdoor movies. So we may have to have an outdoor socially distanced Ghostbusters night coming up when the weather is a little warmer. Okay, I haven't seen Groundhog Day either. Just to say that. Okay, well, we can fix some of these problems. (laughs) I, I want to talk about Egan, too, though. Because I really like his backside, which is... Oh, I guess we should read the frontside, too. Egan, God of Death, a 2B. So 3 mana total, 6-6, six, six, Legendary God with Death Touch. You know, classic 6-6 six, six with Death Touch. <laughs> At the beginning of your upkeep, exile two cards from your graveyard. If you can't, sacrifice Egan and draw a card. So kind of like a Rotting Regisaur variant. Yeah, a Jotun grunt sort of thing. That's more flavorful than my example. Yes. Dang it. <laughs> uh, the backside is Throne of Death, which is a black mana artifact. Legendary artifact. At the beginning of your upkeep, mill a card. And 2B, tap, exile a creature card from your graveyard to draw a card. I really like Throne of Death. <laughs> wow, I'm way more interested in the 3 mana 6-6 six, six side of the card. <laughs> No, I, I, there's just a super soft spot in my heart for any one-man artifact that just essentially does nothing. Right, yeah. Milling one card a turn is so slow. I know, I wish it milled two. It would be so much better, and it would synergize way better with Egan. <laughs> I know, it would just fuel an Egan, yeah. Um, yeah, milling one card a turn is so slow. That activation cost is steep. Three mana to draw a card. Oh, um, yeah, it was mostly just into milling a card every turn and then seeing what we could do from there 
It's just yeah. like so slow of a rate, and it's honestly probably way too good at two man like mill two cards a turn. But yeah, oh yeah, I think it would be way too good at mill two cards a turn. It, it's one of those things that there need to be fractional numbers in order to make this card work. Yeah, and it should pick a random number between zero and two every turn. <laughs> oh god, yeah, it's just an unhinged <laughs> card. Well, <laughs> there are cards that make you mill a random number of cards in this set. In this set, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There could be something here. Like the fact. So, I mean, if you're in a graveyard, a deck that like uses the graveyard and uses like masses of cards in the graveyard, draw this early to fuel your stuff. Draw it late. You've got a graveyard. You can play a 6-6 as one of the two. You know, this only costs three mana, so you can play it as one of two things you do on that turn. Cast this, play a removal spell or whatever. I, I could see this like. There's something here. Three mana, six, six, if you can make it work. Like, that's very big. It's really easy to crypto Vagadine back to stuff like that. That cares sure. about, uh, what's the uh, the one from Akoria? Call of the Death Dweller? Yeah, yeah, true. Like, there's some stuff you death can touch, do death with touch. the fact that it's, yeah. Well, you'd maybe give it minus too. <laughs> yeah, um, I could see it. And, like, there may be decks that it's just, like, if I start out with Throne of Death on turn one, then my deck is really good. I like that's pretty possible. Any any Kroxa deck is like pretty happy to start out with Throne of Death on turn one. It's way better than trying to cast Timurite Calls of the Dead and just build nothing and feel very sad. Man, if I can cut my Timurite Calls of the Deads. <laughs> and it's kinda nice to have a backup creature after you've filled your graveyard and your Kroxas have been dealt with. Sure. Yeah. I Man, okay, like, I, don't, yeah. I don't know how powerful Egan is, right? It's it's on the low end of speculative, I think, but it's sure. it's got good characteristics. Yeah, there's there's something to this card for sure, and I, I I wouldn't be surprised if it starts to do something for sure. All right, I want to pick a white card, Rally the Ranks. Okay, it's a one white enchantment. As Rally the Ranks enters battlefield, choose creature type. Creatures you control of the chosen type get plus and plus one. So it's a two-mana Glorious Anthem for a creature type of your choice. Honestly, that's just good. Like, I hope this lets a white weenie deck, or even just a white and another color deck as a creature type, just be playable. Yeah, I mean, that's on rate. If all your creatures are warriors, you can cast this, and it's going to be good. Choose God to flex on people. <laughs> well, the problem with God is I doubt you have any one-drop gods in your deck. I mean, there's a three-drop god, there's a two-drop god. We just haven't seen the one-drop god yet. <laughs> if it's going to be in any color, it's going to be in white, right? Yeah, that's true. It's Isumaru, be... god of hounds. Yeah, perfect. We did it. And then it gets to be a 3-3. Three, three. Let's see, what else is interesting here? I'll pick a card. Ooh, this card is really interesting, actually. Actually, no, why don't we talk about this card that's just, like, definitely good. Uh, so one? Magda Brazen Outlaw is... Oh, one yeah, I like that one. Yeah, one red for 2-1, dwar legendary dwarf berserker. Other dwarves you control get plus 1, plus 0. Oh. Whenever a dwarf you control becomes tapped, create a treasure token, sacrifice 5 treasure treasures, search your library for an artifact or dragon card, put that card onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. I mean, at absolute base level, this is a 2-mana two 2-1 two that when it attacks, you get a treasure back. And, like, that's, I think that's pretty good, honestly. Yeah, I, so if we strip down all the text on this card and just have one R two one, 
when this attacks make a treasure token. I think the card would not be playable, but it would be like, maybe you could think about it. The fact that it gives dwarves plus one plus woe and has another thing, like an outlet to do with any treasures you have lying around, mm-hmm. kind of pushes it over the top for me. Yeah, I mean, I honestly think that there would be red decks that just want two mana, two, one that makes a treasure when it attacks. But the fact that it does it for other dwarves too, if you've got a deck that has any playable one mana dwarf into this, that's a crazy curve. Yeah, Toolcraft Exemplar and Pioneer, even though it doesn't get the bonus straight away because it's a combat trigger. Right. It's still a nice one-drop dwarf that works really well with Magda. Yes. No, extremely well. It it gets the, the bonus. It gives you a treasure. Like, that is ideal. I just had to look up Inventor's Apprentice to make sure that was a human because that would be yes. a wild curve if that were a dwarf, but... I also didn't realize, I, so the sacrifice five treasures to search your library for a thing and put it on the battlefield, kind of a pipe dream in an aggressive deck, but especially since you're not likely to be playing any real dragons mm-hmm. in any deck you were playing Magda in, but the fact that you can artifact is really interesting and something I didn't realize the first time I read this card. I so, mean, if you're playing a red Godfarrow's gift deck, like this could be another way to get Godfarrow's gift into play. Yeah, not only the treasures allow you to ramp it, but if you don't have it in your hand, you just plop it right into play. Yeah. Uh, in standard, it can get Embercleave if you've just attacked with a oh, few wow. dwarves. Yeah, and that's like, you just will. So so like basically any deck that this card is in, either it is a weird deck like a Godfarrow's Gift deck or has, you know, some fi- Glorybringer type card in it, or it's just a straight up aggro deck and then you're just playing Embercleave. Yeah. And I'm sure, like, even if you only have two goblins, if you have a one-drop goblin and Magda, both of them attack twice. Or I guess the one-drop attacks with Magda gets a token, and then the two of them can attack two turns in a row. That's five treasures. So on your fifth turn, fourth turn, whatever, you can get the Embercleave mm-hmm. guaranteed. Yeah, and you get the treasure on the attack, so then you can get the Embercleave in the middle of combat. Which, uh, you know, auto-attaches. Um, Rimrock Knight is a dwarf, not Ooh, a one drop, right. but a very playable aggressive creature. Uh, I'm trying to see other dwarves in standard. We have seven dwarves, but I think we're we're looking for a one drop out of this set to really like make this card hum. And honestly, they probably didn't put one in because that just seems really really good. Currently, there's only four dwarves spoiled, and they are all two drops. <laughs> yeah, I, I would not blame them for not allowing us to go one drop dwarf into magda in standard that seems really really powerful i hope they do that would be neat especially if it's not a red card if it's a like a white dwarf you could try to because dwarves are in white and red Mm -hmm. so you could try to build around magda with having the power of a one drop dwarf but being needing to be in a weaker color yeah it's just like you go one drop dwarf into Magda, attack with the dwarf. Nothing else happens on your turn three. You're, like if they kill both of those things after that, then on your turn three, you still get to play a four drop. If they don't kill your stuff, then on your turn four, you might get to play a six drop. Or no, on your on your turn three, you might get to play a six drop. Uh, and you get to attack for a bunch. Right. You're also just attacking for a lot. Yeah, I think Magda's are really good. I, I think so too. Speaking of cards that are auto-includes, I want to talk about Tybalt's Trickery. Oh yes, an auto-include. 
So you laugh, but I actually think it is in Commander. <laughs> because okay. it's like Chaos Warp is played in every red deck because red just can't answer a bunch of stuff. And similarly, like a bunch of people are running around with time stretches or whatever in Commander and you can finally do something about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and this card's just kind of weird. I don't, it's like not playable really in any constructed competitive right, format. Right. But Tybalt's Trickery is a one red instant counter target spell, period. <laughs> Choose one, two, or three at random. Its controller mills that many cards, then exiles cards from the top of their library until they exile a non land card with a different name than the spell you countered. They can cast that card without paying its mana cost, and then they put the other cards that were exiled on the bottom in a random order. So I know the first time I read this card, I was waiting for one, two, or three to have some meaning other than how many cards you mill. It doesn't. It's nope. just a random way to determine how many cards you mill, so you can't like set the top card of your library up with Jace or something. It's just a way of giving like Tybalt flavor to the shuffle your library before you cast the top card on it thing. It's It's just a wild ride to read this card, honestly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, from start to finish, it's just like chaos mode. Like, you really do expect the milled cards to do something or the number of them to matter, and it just doesn't. Um, but it is, at its core, it's just counter a spell, substitute it with a random spell from the controller's deck. And, I mean, yeah, probably it's hard enough to set this up to do anything when you're countering your own spell to try to cheat something. Like, they've they've made it hard enough that and since this card doesn't have like other utility really you can't really use it to disrupt your opponent in any meaningful way in constructed magic so it doesn't seem likely that this as like a combo piece ends up ever doing anything if you have teferi time raveler in play it's just one in a red counter target spell finally my jeskai control deck has a hard counter spell two mana yep (laughs) just what i always wanted yep there you go. Ooh, not only does it counter, though, it also mills them a random number of cards. We're getting closer and closer to decking our opponent. Winning on all angles here. Mm-hmm. Yep. Goldspan Dragon is pretty cool. Uh, three red red for a 4-4 four, four flying haste. Whenever it attacks or becomes the target of a spell, create a treasure token. Treasures you control have tap, sacrifice this artifact, add two mana of any one color. You know, this can do a, one of the... You know, one of the things that made like uh chandra torture defiance so powerful was cast it add two red lightning strike your creature now i have a real threat in play i've killed your guy goldspan dragon comes into play attacks gives you a treasure you can sacrifice that for two mana to play a two mana spell giving you that immediate mana return on your dragon that's like this is a pretty good five mana haste dragon yes but i'm still kind of skeptical of it because it mostly just feels like three man or sorry, a five mana haste four four mm-hmm. flying. Like it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like it does that much else. Because with most of the other dragons that have haste and like do a thing, they're usually disruptive or removal, like Glorybringer mm-hmm. or like Thunderbrick Regent. Mm-hmm. Thunderbrick Regent doesn't have haste. What's the one that uh killed the Lingering Souls tokens? Oh, Thunder Maw Hellkite. Yeah, Thunder Maw Hellkite. And there was also the pro white one in Theros. Storm, Storm Breath Dragon. Dragon. Yeah. Yeah. All those cards were like really hard to deal with or dealt a bunch of damage. And this card just kind of doesn't do anything beyond 
give you a little bit extra mana and if you can't to deploy your cards faster which is nice but mm -hmm. at five mana you've, you've kind of capped yeah i mean that's true uh i think it it's cool that it kind of like works so nicely with magda like it's a dragon that you can get if you've gotten treasures out or and it like helps you get more treasures or make better use of the treasures you already have i don't know that that ever becomes you know some like medium red deck in standard using these cards because magna mostly goes better in a pretty aggressive leading deck but I, I don't know like the fact that this just immediately says okay you can also cast a two mana spell on the turn that you played this like if i'm playing against a deck with planeswalkers and i get to cast this hit a planeswalker cast a removal spell on a creature like that does feel like a very good turn yes it does but I think a lot of things have to go in your favor, and I don't know how like likely they are to like have a planeswalker. You have a removal spell, right? That sort of thing, right? Like certainly, part of me like wants this dragon to be like a little bigger, so it's like I got a real like five five monster in play five, on this turn. Five four, I would be sold for this dragon. Yeah, yeah, four four. Like, not even five five, just five four. But I I can see this being pretty good. Like, and if you don't have to use that mana that turn. And then on your next turn, you can, like... Play another Goldspan Dragon? Well, I don't know. Like, you have a lot of mana on your next turn, then. I guess they probably have killed the dragon by that point, so it's only one mana from the treasure. But if you attack Well, you get this... an extra trigger, though, because they targeted it. Oh, the they targeted it. That's true. That's that's actually true. Um, I don't know. There's something here, for sure. I, I, I kind of wish this just made treasures tap for an extra mana so that if you had multiple gold spin dragons in play, your treasures could make three mana instead <laughs> of them just having redundant abilities. Yeah. A little disappointing, but whatever. <laughs> what else do you want to talk about? I want to talk about Elvish Warmaster. Okay. This is a elf warrior 2-2 for one energy. And whenever one or more other elves enters the battlefield under your control... Create a 1-1 green elf warrior token. This ability triggers only once each turn. And it has an activated ability of 5GG to give elves you control plus 2 plus 2 and death touch until end of turn. You know, I've been, as I've been working on house stuff, I've been like listening to podcasts as my background noise while I do that. And I've heard like three or four different podcasts talk about this card. And not one single time did I process like the mana cost of it and so whenever everybody was talking about it they were talking about oh man like it only triggers once per turn you can't like go off with this card and i i didn't process that this is your two drop yeah this like is I, just a two drop yeah like they were all talking about it and the way they were talking about it made it in my head be like oh yeah this must be like a three or four mana creature that's just like i get that's really not enough this is your two drop in the elf deck if the elf deck exists this card's gonna be great in it it's like the um, Gwynn Gwynn's Elite? Is that the name of the card? Dwynn's Elite. Dwynn's right. Elite. Yeah, just like a 2 mana 2 2 that makes a 1 1 alongside it. You don't get the 1 1 immediately with this card, so it's you know less combo y, less immediate battlefield presence. But it does trigger off elf tokens, so if you, you right. know, you're out of elves and you have like a Tyvar, the right. Planeswalker, you just make an elf token. This, this thing also makes an elf token. Right, and that means that you don't have to be committing an elf every single turn to get the elf token. You can commit a planeswalker, make an elf token, and then you are still getting your trigger without being like, yeah, if they have extinction event, I just lose the game immediately. And let's go to the dream world for a moment. 
where you have you know elvish war master and you play the four mana saga that brings back your tyvar and all of a sudden you have a bunch of elf tokens threatening to anthem and your opponent has to deal with it yeah with just like kind of two cards you know this card is not insanely powerful or anything but it's your two drop creature in your elf in your green creature deck like if the elf deck exists it's gonna involve this card and it's as simple as that yep i i i really want the elf deck to exist yeah i'm just so invested now <laughs> also in casual formats you can get around this once per turn restriction by like Imperius Perfect is the card that goes along with it really nicely because then you get your elf on your turn and then you make your token on their turn and get another token and then you just kill them because Imperius Perfect is a lord too. So Imperius Perfect is like really nutty in <laughs> lower powered formats. Yeah, one of the like first true mythic uncommons, just not an okay card to be playing against in limited. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it didn't feel mythic, too. Even though Lorwick had, like, 400 cards in it, it felt like all my opponents had Imperius Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Although, in that format, a lot of the decks had removal or, like, were merfolk, and, like, you could never kill me with an Imperius Perfect before you didn't have a deck anymore against a good merfolk deck, so... That was a very weird format. <laughs> yes. It's also hard to attack merfolk if they had summon the school. Because mm -hmm. you could just create a bunch of blockers while milling them. Yes. It's a, it's a very weird format, for sure. And you also were at, like, 40 because of Judge of Currents. Yeah. That that deck wasn't really okay in that format. Um, let's see. Old Growth Troll seems really sick. Oh, I, I'm glad you picked this one up, because I think this card's, like, really good. Yeah, it, I, for, I like, think so, too. Really good for a mono-green, like, triple-costed green card. Yeah. So this is green, green, green for a 4-4 four, four Trample. When it dies, if it was a creature, return it to the battlefield. It's an ore enchantment with enchant forest you control, and enchanted forest has tap, add green, green, and one tap, sacrifice this land. Create a tapped 4-4 four, four green troll warrior creature token with trample. Number one, if you're trying to get devotion, like, this is, like, the best way to get green devotion. It gives you three green devotion, and it's you're going to have that green devotion. They can't get it off the table. Yeah, because even if it comes back as an aura, it's still its card. Right. So it has triple green at its cost. If you're trying to turn on Clothis, like, you're most of the way there for the rest of the game after you cast this card. It, this card is just also so neat, too. Because it's, you know, a good rate. Triple green, 4-4 four, four tramplers. You know, fine. That's mm -hmm. what green decks are in the market for. And your creatures die because you're playing mono green. They always do. But then you get another way to get a creature onto the battlefield. At instant speed, this does not have a sorcerer's restriction. Right. So you can play around rats inherently by sacrificing the land at your end of your opponent's turn. Uh, and it provides extra mana to you so you can get out your, like, Vivians or whatever you're playing. Sure. Yeah, or play your creatures off of your Vivians. Yeah. yeah. Well, it depends on which Vivian, which which Vivian we're, we're talking, talking about, about, right? Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah, it does only give you one extra mana. Like, these cards always read so weird to me for some reason like it, it's only giving you one extra mana but yeah that's like up for that's your bonus on the backside of your three mana four four and then you can always get another four four after that if you want it like there's just enough pieces to the puzzle 
in this card that I think it's quite good. The one thing that gives me a little bit of pause here is that in green and standard already, as three drops, we have Lovestruck Beast and we have Kazandu Mammoth, which are both serving very specific roles of curving perfectly into the Great Henge. And like this doesn't do that thing and is getting kind of outsized by those creatures. Yeah. So there's a little bit of space getting taken up in those types of decks. But I, like there's just enough room here in like if I'm running Clothis, I want this card in my deck. Uh, yeah, and maybe it sees play in Nykthos formats more mm -hmm. because it is triple green and it's it fills a role that's different than Steel Leaf Champion. Steel Leaf Champion is just one thing. It attacks. Yeah. It's pretty good at it. This card does that too. It's worse at it. You know, 4-4 four four is not as good as 5-4. It's like basically unblockable. I can never yeah. want that card in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, being able to give you longevity in creating extra tokens... And if they deal with it, when they deal with it, still providing devotion and giving you extra mana on top of it is just really nice. Like I think it's a pretty good card for any type of devotion strategy. Yeah, I I like a lot of the what's going on with this card. It's super cool. All right, I want to talk about another green card. There's so many green cards on this list. Do it, <laughs> Eskia, God of the Tree. <laughs> side note most of the gods in the set are like god of death god of fury god of fear she's just god of the tree yeah but what a tree so eski is a 1gg 1-4 god legendary god with vigilance and she taps to add one mana of any color she also gives other legendary creatures you control vigilance and tap to add one mana of any color all right not the most exciting card so far no three mana a double green three mana that one four for a vigilance birds of paradise not mm -hmm. not that great no but the backside is excellent <laughs> it's the prismatic bridge it costs white blue black red green for perfect a legendary enchantment yeah the, the perfect mana cost well almost perfect at the beginning of your upkeep reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal creature or planeswalker card Put that card straight onto the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library in random order. Yeah, I mean, that's gonna kill somebody. Like, that's gonna get you way ahead pretty quickly. It does not trigger, you know, you get a whole turn cycle of do nothing until it triggers for the first time. So, but enchantments are very hard to kill, generally. Yes. I, and Eskia and the Prismatic Bridge, this card is basically the Prismatic Bridge first and foremost that's really the what you want to be doing if you're playing right. start in your deck and eskia can just kind of help you get there if you have to play a second copy right. if you draw two then you can have es esika oh esika i've been saying it wrong okay sure she can be your turn three then you're threatening turn four prismatic bridge i guess the fact that you cast it on turn three your opponent is just like i have to kill that I know the Prismatic Bridge is coming and you're playing it, because right. why else would you play Essica? Well, it's on the other side of the card. Right, why else well, would yeah. you cast it? Because right. you have a second one in hand, yeah. Um, I, I think I give my opponents enough credit to know that they can read all of the cards they play. Right. <laughs> Worth noting as well is that there is a land in this set 
that you know is flavored the same it's the world tree and this she is the god of the world tree i assume um but that that land makes all of your lands make mana of any color once you have six lands in play so that makes it much easier to cast a wooberg spell yeah the world tree for reference is just a come into play tapped add a green mana mm -hmm. land as long as you have six or more lands lands you control have tap add one mana of any color kind of like chromatic lantern and also some unreachable 10 mana card that everyone's memeing about on twitter it's, it has a white white blue blue black black red red green green tap sack activation ability where you can search your library for any number of god cards put them onto the battlefield then shuffle your library special call out to the phrasing god cards <laughs> it's very cool it feels powerful and then you realize all the gods in the set are like, oh, here's my 1-4 that adds for a mana. Here's my 3-mana 6-6 six, six that's probably going to die pretty soon. <laughs> right. The gods are like mostly the fail cases of the cool backsides of the cards. <laughs> yeah. Here's my 3-mana 1-1 one, one that has like plus 2 plus 2 because I've got two cards in hand. And maybe if I get lucky, I'll do some right. cool stuff at end step. <laughs> well, this card is just memorable to me now because of Pleasant Kenobi's tweet about printing combos in one set that everyone was just having fun with. Yeah. I guess like one big drawback of the prismatic bridge is that if it's in your deck, then however many you have in your deck, that's how many Asikas you have that you can hit with the prismatic bridge. And if you cast the prismatic bridge and then you hit a one four with it, like, okay, you still really haven't gotten it. Like you, you've got a long game ahead. You really got to like hold on until this thing grinds you into winning the game. Yeah, I really wish the prismatic bridge was each upkeep. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, that would be cool. But I think that that level of just like not giving a damn power level stuff on a card with a restrictive mana cost, like that requires the card to actually cost that restrictive mana cost and not have a backup mode that you can okay, just cast yeah. a three mana That's fair. one That's four. Because <laughs> I'll be so happy with my one four. Right, but you, like yeah. you know what I mean here. I do. All right. I've got some more cards on this list, but I'm I'm kind of done. I yeah. don't really want to. I don't think. Well, I, I do want to mention. Oh, Vorinclex. Yeah. Can we talk about Vorinclex? Yeah, let's do that. So, Vorinclex, monstrous raiders, a four GG six six, legendary Phyrexian Praetor. Phyrexian's a new creature type. Has trample and haste. If you would put one or more counters on a permanent or player, put twice that many of those kinds of counters on that permanent or player instead. And if an opponent would put one or more counters on a permanent player they put half that many of those kinds of things on that instead round it down okay i have a bunch of like joke things to say about this card first before we really get into it so i'm just gonna okay, kind of okay. rattle them off okay number one this is what one g gets you on top of doubling season you get a six six trample haste and then you also get having season on your opponent for one extra mana so that's pretty good number two how does Okay, this is just a legitimate question. How does this interact with sagas? Um, let me read it. So, I'm going to say you have to add two counters, because you have to add... Right. You're putting counters on something, so you would have to double it. Do you get so, both chapters, then? I I don't know. I would have to look up the saga rules. I'm not even going to attempt to answer this, because I assume... It'll be explained in the rules documents. Right. Also, follow up that I don't know if your opponent sagas. Here. Does it turn off your opponent sagas? 
Yeah, I think it it may. <laughs> okay. Well, sick. Because it also messes up your opponent's planeswalkers. The ones that came down before it, it just kills on its 6-6 six, six trample haste turn. Uh, the ones that come down after it come down with half the number of loyalty counters. So they can't... You Is can't that, play... Are you sure? Because yes. I know doubling season... Well, because that's if a if an ability... If it, that's like if oh, an effect yeah, would yeah, do yeah, it. Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. But this is just if you would put because or, or actually doubling season does work with planeswalkers though because of its wording because you can play a planeswalker after a doubling season and ult. Um, but other versions of this have been as the you know if it a spell or ability would do that and so yeah basically if you cast this they can't ca if their answer to big permanence is like playing a five mana omnixilis planeswalker to kill it like you can't play Kaya after this and minus on Vorinclex. Like, Kaya comes down with two loyalty counters and can't do anything. Whoa, this whoa. She can plus zero to put a ghost form counter on something. Yeah. <laughs> this card is good. This card's really good. Wait, wait. We are talking about the card first. I have more joke things to say. Okay, great. I'm down for that, but... Okay, so why is Warrenclex on call time? Like, how has no one addressed this yet? Oh, yeah. We're just... Like, the Phyrexians are back. And, and we know... Don't we know... How many sets after this do we know? We know the D&D &D set... Uh, and there's Strixhaven, D and D, Innistrad, Innistrad. Okay, so the Phyrexians are in are on Innistrad, right, or something like. I guess the Phyrexians are on Kaldheim. What are we doing with Phyrexia? That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> there. So this card was previewed several days ago at this point, and Watsi has said nothing about it. This We've even, even got a Phyrexian version of the card in Phyrexian language. And Watsi's just like, yeah, this is just a preview card. Here's, here's Vorinclex. Well, and the regular version in the set has a Phyrexian watermark on it. Like, we are this is we are story moding hard with this card. And Phyrexians can't planeswalk. They just don't do that. They need so a like, portal. So that implies, like, Tezzeret's doing stuff. Because he's the guy with the portal. Mm-hmm. And Vorinclex uh, is just hanging out, just on call time, you know, just monstrously raiding. Yeah, I, right, I have no idea what's going on here. And it is weird that this isn't like a plant for a, we know we're not going to Phyrexia anytime soon. Like but... is it Elishthorn or Shieldred? Shieldred might be dead. I don't know the lore of that plane. Yeah, that would but be like, sad. It, it, are there going to be pre-orders in the next two like planes like are they just gonna pop up here and there and just like what when are we going back to phyrexia wizards like <laughs> we, we don't want new phyrexia at home we, we want to go there well on the bright side this side this set does have a bunch of colored artifacts in it so you know that's one of the, the on the back of the side of gods yeah <laughs> but a bunch of cool colored artifacts that's one of the upsides of going to phyrexia anyways so is that why Vorinclex came? He heard they had colored artifacts. Yeah, he wanted to check out what they were doing with their colored artifact. You know, it, it's like when you heard that your friend had set up their house really nicely. You want to come, like, check it out and see if you can draw some inspiration from it. All of my metaphors are, like, house-related right now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he just wanted to come see, like, how they were handling their colored artifacts. See if he could bring any lessons back home to Phyrexia. That's what he... He, he looks like that sort of investigative... But he can't type, get back right? home, right? Like, he needs someone to open the way for him. Yeah, that must be why he's so mad on his card. Well, he's just a pretty mad guy, right? Yeah, he wasn't pretty nice on the other one. I also oh. like how they kept the Phyrexian Praetor flavor of, like, it does a really good thing for you and it's a really bad thing for your opponent. Right, and they're intertwined. They're, like, yeah. the same 
negative to them is what is it's doing for you. As for the card itself, I think this card is extremely good. Yeah, this card is wildly strong. Yeah, this is a messed up magic card. As far as a six mana green creature goes, this is not a commander plant. This is an absolutely like key constructed card. I think as people are like discussing the card right now, from what I've seen or heard, they've fixating way too much on the counter stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean because it's probably like 40 words on the card. So I can see how that could be appealing. But honestly, it's a 6 mana 6-6 with Trample and Haste, which is kind of insane. Mm-hmm. And then it just like messes up your opponent's Planeswalkers, even worse than Questing Beast. Right. I mean, if this didn't have Haste, then it would be, okay, cool niche card. It's going to see some play doing some specific stuff. Put that Haste on that card and it's... Uh, it's all of a sudden like a key greed creature that's going to get cast a lot in the standard. Just like it puts your opponent immediately under tremendous pressure, either by hitting their life total or murdering a planeswalker. And then depending on what cards are relevant for the rest of the game, it, it like if it turns off their sagas and like it certainly messes up their planeswalkers horribly. And then like that's, a really good effect even if you're not doing things that doubling season is but like holy crap if you untap with this like probably yeah okay they'll let you untap with your six mana six six creature so you're doing great anyways but you do just get to cast any planeswalker and alt it immediately or you know if you're not playing a planeswalker your great henge is like turbocharged because sure. you're definitely playing that in your green deck probably yeah but you know i yeah, this card's really good. That's all I gotta say. Yeah, it's 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 very good. Haste is the probably the most powerful keyworded ability on creatures. Yeah, especially on a big creature. Yep. I'm in for this one. I really like this card. I'm really hoping we go to New Phyrexia just like straight after Innistrad, just as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah, I'd be down for that. I don't want to get, like, Gengitaxius in Strixhaven and be like, oh, look, we're not going to New Phyrexia till 2024 or whatever. <laughs> we're just going to stretch out these Praetors as long as we can. Look, here's a Sacrovite beer in Innistrad. What's it doing there? <laughs> Looking creepy. Ooh. Cool. Well, there's plenty more cards. We're not going to talk about all of them today. We talked about some of the cool ones. Yeah, we've been going on for... A little bit now. Yeah, I think we hit most of the cards that that have been previewed, you know, right now that are on everyone's minds. Yeah, I think so. Except for Divine Gambit, I guess. <laughs> just the meme card. Oh yeah, I don't. That's whatever. <laughs> we can just skip talking about it. Yeah, let's not. All right. I guess we're done then. Cool. Alright, well, thanks so much to everybody for listening. We really, really appreciate your time. Uh, if you want to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. If you want to find us on social media, I am tweeting from at ccr underscore grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I'm at Lee McCleo. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great week. Bye.